0: This is the Redis Stars podcast, where we talk with community members about what's new and what they're doing with Redis. Hello, I'm Dave Nielsen, head of community and ecosystem programs at Redis Labs. And this is the Redis Stars podcast, where we talk with community members about what's new and what they are doing with Redis. This week, we have Dmitry Polyakovsky, a senior software engineer at Oracle Cloud and organizer of the Seattle Redis Meetup. Welcome, Dmitry. Thank you for joining me. How are you holding up? Thank you for having me, Dave. I'm doing
1: all right. I live in Seattle, and we've had about three months of coronavirus here. So I've been working from home and venturing out only occasionally to, to go grocery shopping.
0: Right on. So what are you doing to make life interesting at home? Are you holed up in your room? Where are you right now?
1: Well, right now, actually, we have a backyard shed that's used as my son's music studio, and I'm using it to record this interview. But I've been working from home and and just trying to focus on a job. Fortunately, as a software engineer, I can work from home, and eventually things will turn around. I'm confident of that.
0: Yeah, we are fortunate to have jobs. to. Give us the ability to work from home. And so I was going to talk about how we first met at the Redis Seattle meetup.
1: Yeah, it's It's been about five years, I think. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, I
1: actually don't remember how you found my name because I somehow got this email. And I've been interesting in Redis for several years prior to that meeting. I used it quite a bit. And I got this email and said, hey, there's a Seattle Redis meetup. Would you like to come? I'm like, sounds interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that was one of the first meetups I had done since I joined Redis Labs, and it was definitely my first one in Seattle. So uh, I can't remember what the topic was. Do you remember?
1: Oh, gosh. I think you were talking about some general use cases of Redis. You gave a talk up in Pacific Northwest in Bellingham about some various data science things with Redis. And during this presentation, there were maybe 10 people there, and you just kind of shared people how to use Redis. You launched an instance, and I think one of the people connected to you cloud instance and i was able to manipulate some data so we had a quick conversation about how it's important to not give you know access to redis instances to not you know to use appropriate ip blacklists and whitelists to control access to the
0: redis service yeah that's right because i don't think i had a password or anything like that for my data. Yeah, that's right and i'm again, it it was fine for a demo yeah yeah that's pretty funny and you were telling me how you almost didn't come to that meetup, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I was a little tired that evening, and I thought, well, should I go there? And I felt guilty because you and I exchanged a few emails, and I said, well, I already promised Dave that I'll come, so I decided to come. Okay. And we met there, and you actually, I believe, are offering comp passes to the Redis Conf. And then I asked you if you were looking for more presenters because I had some ideas and I wanted to do a presentation at the, at the meetup. And you said, great. And a week later, you emailed me and said if I'd be interested in presenting at the Redis Conf. And I, I thought to myself, well, I bet I get my presentation in order because it's one thing to have some interesting ideas and have in-depth knowledge, but it's another to you know, create a concise and effective presentation that will be given to an audience of hundreds and recorded for YouTube.
0: Yeah. I know it goes down permanently on your permanent record. We'll see what great things come out of a little guilt, you know, guilting you to meet up. Five years later, That's we're right. doing a podcast. So, you know, I always like to ask people, how did you first get your start with Redis? Like, how did that come about and what were you doing?
1: Well, I've used Redis at a variety of purposes. And I just want to say something that while I work at Oracle Cloud, my ideas that I'm presenting here are my own, and I in no way speak officially for the company. But having gotten that out of the way, I've used Redis at a variety of companies. In fact, before Redis even existed at a company I worked for about 12 years ago, one of the engineers there built an in-memory database, and he called it Dictionary Server. And we all were really hardcore SQL guys, and we all thought he was a little crazy, but we were impressed by the speed that this thing offered. And I left that company and I think eventually that project was shut down. But a few years later I was working in advertising space and I heard of this thing called Redis and it was this really fast in-memory database. And I discovered that Redis actually stands for remote dictionary server. And that name dictionary server kind of like got me thinking about it. So I used it for a variety of purposes in advertising. We used it as a cache, we used it for a lot of click fraud. Then I started using it at other companies. I used it as a job queue. I used it to, you know, maybe create feature flags to control access to different parts of my website and enable and disable it gradually. So Redis can be a great solution for that. So I I can go talk about various Redis use cases for a long time here.
0: So your first one, you were saying, was, was that the one for click fraud? I, I can't remember in the list.
1: Well, so what that project was is we wanted to ensure that uh, we called it unique visit. Visitors, and basically we tracked like we created a unique ID for each visitor to our website, and we want, we wanted to show certain ads to them only like infrequently, right? Because people get tired of seeing the same ads over and over. So this is one of the improvements we wanted to make. So what we did is we basically created a unique re- or relatively unique ID using combination of an IP address and user agent. And we would hash it for a period of time in Redis. So it's just a really straightforward caching solution. You create a key, you set a certain expiration with Redis DTL on it, and you check for the presence of the key. And if that key is present, you know that you that user has already visited your website and you should not show them this ad.
0: Got it. Yeah, I've heard so many different variations of yeah. that. The simple yeah. ones to even yeah. keeping track of each ad in like a bitmap yeah. or something like that.
1: And then I started using it for like various data processing things like we had to process a lot of logs so I had to keep a whole bunch of counters so just again very similar process using Redis increment functionality you just process a, a large amount of data zero in a specific metric keep counters of how many times I've seen it like for example how many distinct IP addresses came to the website that day, and then just export data out of Redis when I'm done. So it was a great data store for those yeah. like intermediate data storage needs, like not long term. It's a little expensive yeah. to store terabytes of data in RAM long term.
0: Right, right. Well, there's definitely a lot of those uh, use cases that Redis became famous for. Yeah. And then over the years, you ended up at Oracle Cloud and after a few startups, and like, yeah. Redis
1: is actually a great choice at the startups I worked at because it allows you to focus on delivering immediate business value. For example. Sometimes the website is slow and you look at the code and you realize that to really improve it, it would require a fairly complex refactor, maybe a lot of database optimization. But you know if you can accept a certain data staleness that you show to your end users, you can implement caching. And what that does it gives you that fairly quick return on investment. Your customers are happier and that gives you time to perform more complex data more complex changes in your code or in your compute infrastructure.
0: So, but then it, you said they give you a lot of opportunity to learn quickly and grow your experience quickly. Is that what you're saying with the startups?
1: Well, yeah, startups could be a great environment where you can learn a lot. If you can, if you, if you can just, it's, it's kind of like a roller coaster, right? You get on it, you got to hold on for dear life sometimes, but you get to go far. Right. That's and right. You have a lot of and, flexibility to try new technologies frequently. You are the person making a decision. And sometimes they make mistakes, but what I liked about Redis is it was simple to use, and I could use the technology for a variety of purposes, as a cache, as a job queue, to store feature flags, to store user sessions, and so on. So, as I said, it allowed me to get things. It gave me. It was the tool to get things done quickly.
0: Right. Yeah, and a lot of people referred to that. In fact, I think you mentioned it before the, we started recording that uh, you considered it sort of a like a Swiss army knife or something like that.
1: Exactly. I often use that slide in my presentation. And then I usually follow up with, just because a Swiss army knife has a little saw on it, doesn't mean you should try to chop down a big tree with that saw. So that's the challenge I've seen. Sometimes people try to do maybe too much with Redis.
0: Yeah. And yet Redis does continue to add more functionality, at least through the modules. Redis itself seems like it's happy with the 10 different data structures it has.
1: Well, streams were a really interesting thing. that were added in version 5, but modules are definitely very powerful. So I've used the Ready Search module. I tried the Redis JSON module as well and a few other ones.
0: Right, and then you went from startup to uh, Oracle, which is a big company.
1: Well, Oracle Cloud, we like to think of as ourselves as a startup within the Oracle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I've been with big companies that have organizations that are considered startups within a big company it's never quite the same as a startup but uh, you know it is nice sometimes you get a little bit more freedom and flexibility to you know to move quickly you know maybe break a few things here and there
1: yeah what I liked about it the most is that it gave me an opportunity to work on bigger projects that's the downside of startups is that you know it's very hard to think long term like you're so focused on delivering immediate value to your customers that you it's harder to take a bigger picture of you and think well what would be a really new, cutting-edge, valuable product that we could develop here. And having the resources of large company helps in that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I remember your talk at RedisConf, I think a year ago, you were playing around with some large number of servers. I don't remember.
1: <laughs> yes, that was a slightly ambitious project on my part. And <laughs> the demo gods punished me for it because my really cool demo, I was running 10 bare metal servers the most powerful oracle cloud has to offer they had i I think 52 cores so 104 virtual cores i had 10 of those and i was running 1000 node redis cluster and the (laughs) demo gods decided to crash that cluster about five minutes before i was literally five minutes before i was supposed to start presentation and i needed about 15 minutes to rebuild the entire cluster ironically i gave the same talk later in seattle at the seattle redis meetup and the demo went perfectly
0: of course, you know, that's just how it is with uh, big audiences. Yeah.
1: Well, I had a good fallback, fallback plan a year ago. So that basically allowed me kind of like have a local demo, but the kind of the, like the crown jewel, what I was building up to. And here's what you can do with the Redis cluster. Because I literally was doing like during the presentation, I would have generated, it was like billions and billions of operations.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like it. And that's, again, a good example of resources you get at a (laughs) quote-unquote startup in a large company. I was running this hackathon, and there was this developer who was building something in He's like begging for me to give him access to one server in the cloud. And I was. I will make a cloud. small
1: pitch about my employer, Oracle Cloud, if you go to oracle.com and click on the like free tier.
0: I should have, have mentioned that. What the heck uh, am I thinking?
1: Yeah, of? yeah. you can get a permanently, you can get two free virtual machines with one gig of memory each. And then you also get the Oracle, two Oracle Cloud autonomous databases.
0: You know, I'll bet he did end up over there because he did yeah. end up telling me he ended up using a free tier in the cloud. So... I'll bet that's yeah. for good.
1: But you'd you'd have to install Redis yourself, and uh, you know. But it, you get a VM with one gig of sure. memory, free forever. Sure.
0: Yeah, you know, that works. That so. works. You can install all sorts of things in that. Well, so what I wanted to talk to you about today is the talk that you gave at Redis Day Seattle, and then you gave an updated version of that at RedisConf just recently, at RedisConf Takeaway, our, our virtual conference that we just had. And it, you know, because of the time that we're in. Analyzing, uh, you know, COVID data, I think is pretty interesting. But first talk about your talk uh, that you gave on in Redis Day Seattle on using Redis with Python and Jupyter Notebooks. How did you end up with with that topic?
1: well i was working a lot of data processing and uh, i was using redis as a temporary data store and for the purposes of that demo i simply mined the github public apis extracting like user profile info that you can get from that public json apis but uh, i was using redis for two purposes there one was using redis as a job queue because i was doing multiple http requests and downloading lots and lots of small data sets so having and writing them via these parallel queues gave me a lot of redundancy. Like Typically, and when you're doing data processing and using Python uh, Pandas library, you would do a lot of like read CSV and it just loads everything and then you can manipulate the data. But here, I, w- I wasn't reading one file or one CSV or JSON. I was reading multiple data sources. So having Redis jobs, Redis queue through which I was writing my jobs gave me a lot of redundancy. And then I was storing data in Redis hashes before I was doing final data analysis and aggregation. And that last step was done in Jupyter Notebooks. So Jupyter Notebooks was kind of like a GUI to my Redis data store. So that was the essence of this talk. And it was based on a lot of uh, real production systems that I've built, but I wanted to have a simple example and I wanted to keep to avoid mentioning anything confidential. Hence, I used the GitHub public APIs.
0: Right. A lot of people don't think of that use case for Redis where you're using it with... Your data science project, you know, you've given the talk on using it with uh, Jupyter notebooks, and Scott Haynes yeah. gave his talk on using it with Spark. You know, it definitely comes in handy, and I, I bet it gets a lot of use. There's, there's even a Spark Redis uh, library. If you, for those of you who are listening who use Spark, you can use the Spark Redis library to pull the data in and out of Redis in, in binary, so it doesn't have to deserialize and reserialize back into Spark format. So yeah, a lot of people starting to use it, or maybe they've been using it for a while for data science and data engineering. And so I'm, I'm you gave a live demo in that talk, and that, that actually worked out well, a fair amount.
1: Lots and lots of practice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Spark is a very powerful data processing technology, and there is integration with Redis. I think the way I described my talk at Redis Day Seattle as medium data solution, <laughs> where you know, maybe you don't have access to it or you don't need a full blown Spark cluster, but you maybe have to process, you know, gigabytes of data.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely seemed to work well. And then for RedisConf, you know, normally we don't have like the same talk, you know, given at Redis Day and then at RedisConf, but things had changed, hadn't they? We, were, <laughs> we weren't going to give a talk at RedisConf. I remember that. And then something happened.
1: Well, traveling, that was kind of the hard part, right? But then the conference became virtual and I thought, well, I could adapt my talk, but I also wanted to add something to it. And that is, and I, I was hoping, I didn't get a chance to do this part during the Red Day Seattle, but I wanted to introduce more robust, what they called scheduler. And that's basically when you have to import data on periodic basis, because during my presentation at Red Day Seattle, I just did like a one-off, but frequently in data processing or ETL, extract, transform, load, pipelines, you import data every hour or every day. And for that, you want a very robust scheduler, and you don't want that to be a single point of failure of your application. And Redis has an interesting, there's an algorithm created by Salvatore called Redlock. You can go on redis.io and read about it. There are certain pros and cons to it. I won't go into the details here, but I was using Redis in my Redis presentation. I was using Redis additionally as my scheduler to run a very reliable distributed scheduler. And then I also was using Redis as a job queue and I was using Redis as a primary database. But the big change that of course, that I changed my data source. Instead of using GitHub public APIs, I used Johns Hopkins data on COVID-19 infections and deaths. And I have to say that this is the first time I actually worked with, this was not just data about sales or advertising metrics. This is literally human lives. So this definitely kind of made me think about it differently. But the reason I built that tool that, that I talked about during my presentation is because I actually wanted a dashboard for my own use. Like it was very psychologically difficult to just read all this news a few months ago where there's, you know, more new cases, more people dying and, you know, I'm a data guy and uh, I wanted to look at data for specific locations. And I wanted to look at data, how it changed day by day. For example, I wanted to know how many new people got sick in King County where Seattle is located or how many people passed away in Washington State. So Johns Hopkins data was structured in that very nice format and it was available in CSV download and it was a very reputable source. So I built a dashboard. It was a weekend personal hackathon project where I was downloading the CSVs I was processing them, storing data in Redis hashes, and then analyzing it for the presentation in the UI. And I had these charts where I could see how many new people got sick for a specific location. And I used Redis actually in four different ways. As a job queue, as a primary database, as a store for distributed lock management. And last, I also added some caching because to read, I literally had to read and write thousands and thousands of Redis hashes and their separate Redis keys. So to make that many requests from my application to Redis, it got a little slow. So basically, I implemented Redis caching on top of that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I was, the the Redis was both the primary database and a cache. And what I did is I simply separated it using different Redis databases, like zero was cache. You know, one was for storing my jobs, two was for storing my distributed lock management, and three was for actually storing all those individual Redis keys with, the data for specific locations. So
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because now that some people are using Redis as a primary database, that data can be quite large and it can be in a, a data structure or a module that, you know, has a different querying, you know, ON or whatever you want to, you know, Bigger, right? Yeah. And so yeah. like sometimes it actually does make sense to cache data yes. in Redis in Redis. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, this is where the, this, using Redis as a primary database was definitely a little tricky. I had to do a lot of work in my application code and I had to use several libraries because you know things that are, we take for granted in relational databases, you know, primary, foreign key constraints, joins, aggregations, you don't have it in Redis.
0: That's right, that's right. So what did your application do? You built this app and it gave you the ability to, to look at the data. But like, what exactly were you trying to get out of it?
1: Well, well, part of it is I wanted to scratch a technical itch and use Redis in a slightly different way than I have done before. But part of it is I would, I would literally look at this dashboard every day and say, well, how are we doing in Seattle? So it's kind of, you know, I wanted to see a graph, right? Because it's like a lot of the graphs they were showing cumulative data, how many total cases. So that graph kept going up and up and up. But I wanted to see the differential, like how many new people got sick that day.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised it took the apps, you know, the... The official apps, so long to have that kind of data. Yeah,
1: yeah we, I think it's an important psychological impact, right? Because if you're looking at the data and you see that 10 more people got sick today, five more people passed away yesterday. And you know each one of those deaths is a tragedy to somebody. So we should never be dismissive of it and treat it as a number. And at the same time, I think just the as I said, psychological impact of seeing this graph that keeps going up and up and up, it's just, it's hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, no it
1: is. Versus it is. if you can see like, well, hey, fewer people are getting sick. I mean, that's a good thing, right?
0: Yeah, and by the way, how has it gone in Seattle? Oh, it's much better,
1: yeah. Actually, right now, there are some other websites out there that are showing this information, so I've been using them instead. Right. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it's getting better. There's more people on the road. You know, there's more people in some businesses. Stores are reopening. I mean, in the software industry, we are projected to be working from home through the summer and into the fall.
0: Yeah, so, well, that's because we can, right? Exactly. Well, might as well exactly, yeah. and, uh, avoid exposing yourself, but a lot of people totally. can't do that. Why uh, take a necessary risk, right? Yeah, I wonder if there would be a, how many collaborative efforts? Because I saw lots of apps, right? Like apps like yours where yeah. people had an itch and they wanted to scratch it. And yeah. you know, I, was, I was sort of paying attention to that. It's not just
1: individuals, it's companies too. So for example, Oracle, they have this COVID19.oracle.com and it's an app that they built for medical professionals to track some of the cases.
0: Oh yeah. So, yeah. So not just people and companies, so, like I'm kind of believing that there's always these sample apps out there, right? Where, you know, if you want to spin up a Redis or whatever kind of framework, there's there's some sample app that you might download or run. Well, yeah, remember um, the old or early days, there was the e-commerce, I think it was like the fish store or something like that. Oh, like a
1: sample store? Yeah. Well, my days. app is open source, so everybody's welcome to look at it. And, you know, please be gentle with comments. And this was a personal weekend project, so the code could be cleaner, but it works. And you know, feel yeah, free well, to ask questions or do pull requests.
0: Well, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And so, well, good. Well, thanks for sharing with us. That is interesting also that you used Redis in you know, multiple ways for that use case. Okay. But before we wrap things up, I, I always like to ask also, like, what are some of the most interesting uses of Redis that you have run into over the years? Oh, that's a good question. As I
1: said, there are just so many of like, okay, I'll share a story. And again, this was not me. This is one of the somebody I was talking to at one of the Redis conferences. And he was using Redis for secure data storage And he was not saving data to disk, but he was achieving redundancy via replication. So he would have multiple servers. And I don't know anything else about the project. I just remember a conversation with somebody and I thought that's kind of interesting because his philosophy was if something is not saved to disk, it's far less likely to be hacked. So he was running multiple Redis servers, data was replicated, he was monitoring very closely, but none of them actually saved things to disk. So think of that as a, like a last pass, you know, the last tools that people use to store passwords. Uh-huh. So you're running, I mean, the, the amount of data, like you know, required to store a password is kilobytes at most, right? So, but by storing it in memory and not persisting the disk, you're significantly increasing your security. That's I thought that was it. I thought yeah. that was interesting. I don't know anything about anything else about the project. I just was talking to somebody else at a, at a conference.
0: No, I heard one use case around that where, yeah, they would encrypt the password, stick them in Redis and keep them in memory and, no. and they never... Uh, but,
1: but even, if, here's the thing, if somebody gets a hold of the encryption key and they get a hold of the hard drive or files on the disk, you just copy those Redis files, you load them up into your Redis database and you decrypt the data and you have somebody else's secrets. But if they're never saved to disk,
0: obviously... Yeah, it's like you're it you wanna- further out of arm's reach, right? It's like, Exactly. So and easily, and, uh, then it's much more likely. But if you have to jump through some big oops to get access to it, then uh, it's less likely. Yeah.
1: And normally, I prefer to use, you know, I prefer to snapshot data to disk because this way is if Fridays if crashes and it restarts and reloads the data into RAM, it's available. Like if I have a cache or a job queue or whatever. But this was slightly different.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Well, very good. And I know that you have also been involved with some projects with microservices are you are yeah. you still doing that or are you working on anything today
1: well i have this i have my day job where i'm writing software but yeah i've used microservices and large applications so it depends which one is the right pattern for what problem but yeah in a large application i frequently use the redis as a secondary database so i would have you know usually a relational database and then Redis would be used as a cache, a job queue, to store feature flags, to throttling access, for distributing log management, for user session information, and so on. But it was, as I said, a secondary database. But in a microservice, sometimes microservice doesn't need to store that much. And what you can do is you can deploy Redis as a sidecar. So mm-hmm. each instance of microservice has a local copy of Redis that it reads and writes from. from. And they obviously can't share any information, but sometimes that's exactly what you want. So this way, if you need to scale out, you just deploy more copies of that microservice, and each one has its own little Redis instance, and it can do what it needs.
0: Yeah, and that is one of the patterns, right? I think where you yep. each service has its own databases and they don't share. So that, that would make exactly. good sense. Good one. All right. Well, okay. It's been really nice talking to you. I can see that we're running out of time here. so. I just want to let people know that if you're listening to this and you want to check out Dimitri's talk, you can go to redisconf.com and you can look for, I think it was called Using Redis with Python to Analyze COVID-19 Data.
1: I believe that's correct.
0: Yep. And then you had another talk, Redis Day Seattle, on also using Redis with Python and some other things.
1: There were Uh, some similarities between the two talks, but as I said, the second one is an extension and the data is very different.
0: Right. So go check that out. If you want to build your own uh, dashboard and track data, hopefully tracking data going on the downside. Right. And then I'll put also in the, in the show notes, your Twitter handle, your blog link to the meetup and maybe uh, that, how, where they can get that free cloud tier at Oracle. So cool. thank you very much for joining me, Dimitri. It's always a pleasure. And I look forward to things opening up and getting that Redis Seattle meetup going again.
1: You're welcome. I hope so too.
0: Okay. So, again, I'm Dave Nielsen, head of community and ecosystem programs at Redis Labs. And this is the Redis Stars podcast where we talk with community members about what's new and what they are doing with Redis. So, we'll see you online.